Hello folks and welcome to the Al Foran podcast sponsored by Betfred and produced by Feed Ignite. This is season 2 episode 11 with Ariel Helwani. What a guest. The number one MMA journalist in my opinion. The MMA journalist. Ariel's been around for over a decade now covering MMA in the UFC so he's he's just a great guy brilliant journalist we had a great chat spoke about McGregor we spoke about his early career the rise of MMA and lots of other things and of course there's a couple of impressions added in there too such a nice guy and he's working obviously over in ESPN at the moment he moved from MMAfighting.com over to ESPN which is a massive move for him and I'm I'm so happy for him I think he deserves that because he's been um a very important figure in MMA history, so no, I'm absolutely delighted for him. But yeah, this is a great podcast, folks. I really hope you enjoy it. And of course, we speak about some of the big upcoming fights in the UFC with the likes of Conor McGregor, Israel Adesanya, and John Jones as well. So enjoy, folks. This is the Al Foran Podcast, Season 2, Episode 11 with Ariel Helwani. Game on. Get £30 in free bets from Betfred when you sign up and stake a tenner. Football, racing, rugby, boxing. Betfred have markets available on all of the biggest matches, races, fights and more. Download the Betfred app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Or sign up through betfred.com. Game on! 18 plus BeGambleAware.org UK and Northern Ireland only First sports bet of £10 and over in one transaction Settled in 60 days Odds evens, brackets 2.0 and over £30 free bet paid within 10 hours of bet settlement 7 day expiry Payment restrictions apply SMS validation may be required Full terms and conditions apply Please gamble responsibly Oh, I'm so happy to be joined by... The, the number one MMA journalist. You're the Howard Cosell of oh, yeah. MMA journalism. You are, you are, my friend. Ariel Hawani, thank you so much for, for coming on. I really appreciate it, pal. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's my honor. You know, I'm a huge fan of yours. So when you asked, I was excited. I, I was very excited. I feel, I feel a little starstruck, as I said, when we first popped on here. Um, well, that's what I said. I said, likewise. I've been watching you for, for years. And I think, you know, the... The McGregor impression for me, it unlocked a lot of, um, I suppose I, I gained a lot of acquaintances from it. And I'm very lucky to have you following me on Twitter and everything on Instagram. So it's, it's just great to have you on, man. Know this, anytime you do, especially Connor, uh, I will walk up to my wife from behind and I'll play it. And I'll be like, oh, I just got a Connor interview. Listen to what he said. And then she'll, and then she'll be like, oh, and then, and then I'll show her that it's you. And I'll also send it to my mom, uh, who's a big fan of yours as well. She loves your Connor interview. So, I mean, oh, I, my only request for doing this interview, which I do with pleasure, is uh, I, I'd like to make some requests at the end, like, you know, a little playlist. Well, yes. you know, I, 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 there's a few that I like a lot that I'd love to hear on the spot, you know, just personally for me, personalized. So that's my only yes. request of, if I can ask for a few later on. Listen, that's perfect, man. Honestly, I, I love when they just, when people just throw them at me. I honestly <laughs> love it. <laughs> um, yeah. So how have things been for you anyway, during this, this pandemic? I know it's kind of been business as usual with, with MMA and then the UFC, at, you know, for the last six months, you know, events have, have gone ahead in the likes of Abu Dhabi. And um, so it's kind of, you're kept busy with it. 
Oh, I, I've been very busy. I feel like I'm I'm busier now than I've been in the past, but in a different kind of way. Because, yeah. for example, you know, on Mondays, I used to do a show that was like three, four hours long with all these different guests, and I would book the guests, and it was quite the chore. Um, and now it's a different kind of Monday for me. It's uh, Daniel Cormier and I, and yeah. I'm not traveling two hours. You know, for the past year and a half, I was traveling two hours one way to Bristol, Connecticut, which is where ESPN is headquartered. And I would do the show there and then I would drive back home at like eight o'clock and it was pitch black for another two hours. It was just a really long Monday. Um, And of course the travel and whatnot, but you know, what's kind of crazy about um, what happened this year was two weeks or maybe three weeks before um, the pandemic, you know, they brought me into an office and they said, Hey, you know, we're going to we think that there's a few tweaks that we can make to your Monday show that will make it better. Mm. And uh, they were going to cut it down to two hours and they wanted less guests and all this stuff. And honestly, Al, I, I was uh, very down about this. I was distraught. I, I didn't yeah. want to do a two hour show. I didn't think that it was possible to do a two hour show with that many guests. Yeah. The, the grind of booking the guests was really tough and all this stuff. And then of course, it was supposed to happen the week after the pandemic started and it never happened. You know, they were going to move me to a different studio. All, there were all these plans. Yeah. And no one knows this. And, and uh, the pandemic hits and all that was thrown out the window. And then as a result of that, because we couldn't go to a studio, because I couldn't travel, uh, I said, you know what? In the meantime, DC and I have been talking about doing a show forever once he retired and he's about to retire. Why don't you just let us talk? for an hour or so, maybe we'll brighten people's Mondays, we'll have a laugh, et cetera. And that placeholder then became a permanent thing. And now it's the new Monday show and all that. So that in its own right, I mean, who could have predicted that, at least for me, myself, has been a bit of a, a change. And now doing everything yeah. from this little room in my house is different. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely it's definitely been a different kind of year, but um, I, I like to think that, um, especially as a sports journalist, like our job, our main job is to provide escape for people during tough yeah. times, you know? Yeah. And uh, I hope that during this time, you know, when someone tells me, hey, I was having a hard day or I was lonely, I listened to you in DC or you and your 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 guest for Monday or, or Wednesday, excuse me, um, you know, it helped. So that, that to me is what, I, is what I tried to do. I, I haven't taken a week off in 2020 yet. And uh, wow. I'm just, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, that that's what happened with the shows that it gave people an escape. Yeah, 100%, I think. Um, sports in general coming back during this pandemic was an escape. It, it was pure escapism. As, as you know, um, where I'm based, you know, the Premier League is is a massive thing. And that coming back for me, I don't know if you see my tweets, but I just, I, I rant and I rave about my club, Manchester United. <laughs> so yeah, there was a big time. I'm an Everton so, guy, by the way. So. You're, you're an Everton guy. They're, playing, they're, they're flying at the minute. Well, they were doing a lot better and then they kind of dipped and, you know, they were top of the league. I don't know if you know they this. Were, they were, they, they, were they, they lost against United, but they won yesterday against Fulham. Yes, yes, yes. So they're um, doing well. You know, the only reason I'm really an Everton fan is because Molly McCann, Meatball Molly, told me to yes. be an Everton fan. And Darren <laughs> Till was trying to get me to be a Liverpool fan. But then I decided that Molly was cooler. And then the Everton social media team sent me a bunch of free stuff. So my fandom was bought. Oh, and, yes. Uh, and now, you know, now I'm all in. Well, I'll have to do if if you know I'll have to do my Carlo Ancelotti for you later on then. Okay. <laughs> I want, even the laugh right there. I hear I hear uh, a little bit of Connor in the laugh. It's brilliant. <laughs> well, it's easy because because you know I'm from Dublin. I, I don't live sure. too far away from the guy, so 
I, I picked I picked up on on his kind of accent and his his inflections pretty pretty quickly when I did that impression. But we'll listen, we'll get to that later on. Okay, okay. okay. I, I want to talk about you know young Ariel Hawani growing up in Montreal, Quebec. Um, as a kid, were you were you an avid sports fan? Did did you you had a love for for basketball? And pro wrestling as well, because I've seen you. I'm, I'm a big pro wrestling fan. You've had many um, great pro wrestling guests on your podcast yep. as well. Loved sports as a kid. Um, I was a big basketball fan. I was a big uh, baseball fan, football fan, the American football. Um, mm. But in, in my household, uh, you know, my family is from the Middle East. My mom is from Lebanon yeah. and my dad's from Egypt. So my uncles were very big into what you call football, what we call soccer. So yeah. I grew up with that as well. Uh, but yes, I loved sports and I grew up with two older brothers who also loved sports. And so in our house, it was always, you know, sports, sports, sports. Of the, the three of us, I, for whatever reason, I don't know how it happened, was enamored with combat sports as well. So I remember going to the video store and, um, you know, renting WrestleMania one. I remember this vividly. I remember the box It had Hogan and Mr. T on it and, and uh, SummerSlam and Survivor Series. I loved, you know, yeah. pro wrestling and then boxing. And then of course, you know, when I'm 10 years old, uh, the UFC starts to become a thing as well. Mm. And even when I was younger, before I even really like knew what I was getting interested in, I was always very interested in the TV side of sports. I like to emulate the broadcasters, the way they started the broadcast, the way they ask questions, the way they set things up. There was something about the magic of TV that really interested me. And, you know, when my, my friends and I would play outside sports or my brothers and I, I would do like post-game interviews. I would do fake ones <laughs> because I'd like to pretend that I was, you know, the guys on TV. And I'll never forget when I was in the ninth grade, I was reading uh, a magazine called Sports Illustrated. And uh, we were supposed to be reading something else, but I had it like tucked in and uh, we were in English class. And it was a magazine that was, it was kind of breaking down the best schools in America for all mm. sorts of things, X, Y, and Z. And there was a little blurb that stated that a school called Syracuse University in central New York was the best school for sports journalism. Okay. And in my mind, a light went off in my head. So in, in the ninth grade, I'm, I'm what, uh, this is 1997, I'm 14 years old. And uh, I'm like, wow, you could go to school for sports journalism. That's incredible. Yeah, and so yeah. in my mind, that was my goal. I'm going to go to Syracuse. I'm going to become a sports broadcaster. And then, you know, the the dream will unfold. So it's really at around like 14 or so that I started to to really hone in on this dream of being on TV and talking about sports and all this. Yeah, 100%. I, I as well, I mean, when I was younger, I used to, I mean, I used to watch pro wrestling and I never wanted to be a wrestler. I couldn't because I have a pacemaker. I was born with congenital heart block. So contact oh, wow. sports was out the window for me. But I always wanted to be a writer. I always could try and match the storylines together. But there was no, listen, there was no school for that. But that was kind of, uh, not many people know that. That was kind of a thing I, I wanted to do. And like that, I have that where you, you went to Syracuse and it was around 2004 where you started covering MMA. And, and back then, even back then in 2004, it was still very new. I mean, its growth has been unbelievable, I suppose, mm -hmm. in the last, I think, 20-odd years. It's just been incredible. And um, you started covering it on the, was I believe it was on the college radio. Yeah, actually 2001. I'm sorry, 2001. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I remember talking to my parents and saying, you know, there's a sport called UFC that at the time was only eight years old, sport league sport called MMA. Mm. Uh, I don't want to 
fans to get mad at me. Sport called UFC. You train UFC. Um, and uh, I said, you know, there's the sport called MMA. And I feel like in 10 years, this sport is going to be mainstream. And there's going to be some executive in some office who is going to say, I know nothing about this crazy cage fighting sport, but clearly it's a big deal. Who's the guy? Who's the face? Who's the voice? Who's the Howard Cosell of MMA? That's what I wanted to be. I, I always looked up to Howard. Now you, you called me at the top the Howard Cosell. I don't think I'm 120th as good as he is. I can only dream and pray to have the impact and career that he had, but that's what I told my parents verbatim. I want to be the Howard Cosell of MMA. There is no guy at the time, and mm -hmm. I want to be that guy. Um, and to their credit, they said, go for it. They, they were very, very supportive. And so in school, um, at Syracuse, I had my own Saturday morning radio show where I would talk about mixed martial arts and I would have guests on Bruce Buffer was on my show. One of the first guests that yeah. I ever had, I just, I wrote him an email on his website and, and he responded and came mm -hmm. on. Um, and so that's really when the wheels started to turn. But actually when I graduated in 2004, I started to work in TV production. I went down a TV production route and I worked in TV production from 2004 to 2007. But around 2006 or so, I was really starting to get more and more into MMA. And this is like, you know, post Ultimate Fighter and it's on Spike TV here in America. Mm. And it's really starting to get popular. And um, at the time, Spike TV was the home of the UFC. And uh, I had an opportunity to go work for Spike TV. And for me, it was like, okay, this is great. I could go work for Spike yeah. TV in production and also work on the UFC stuff. But when I got to Spike in September of 2007, I realized that they don't actually produce anything on their own. They don't do anything creative with the product. They were just getting the content from the UFC. So after a week there, I, I quit. And my boss was very <laughs> mad at me. And he's like, uh, you're going to regret this for the rest of your life. You're, you're unprofessional. This is not the way business is done. And I just said, in my heart, I don't feel like this is the right job for me. I, I don't want to be like an administrative person. I'm a very creative person. Yeah. And so uh, I quit. They made me stick around for a month and a half until they found someone to replace me as a production coordinator at Spike. And it was during that time that I decided, okay, this is the crossroads of my life and my career. I'm going to start my own website. And I'm going to give myself from October of 2007 to April 1st of 2008. And every morning, I'm going to post an audio interview with a fighter. Um, this is before podcasts. So there would be like a, a plug and player on the website from WordPress yeah. that I would, I would do. And, and uh, I would write to fighters via MySpace because that was the social media site of, of Yeah, of wow, yeah. Time. And uh, lo and behold, they used to write, they would write back to me like after a while. Tito Ortiz was writing to me and Chuck Liddell was writing to me and George St. Pierre was writing back to me and it was starting to gain some momentum. So uh, I don't know if you want me to finish the story there, but yeah, basically course, yeah. I gave myself six months. And unfortunately after five and a half months, uh, I didn't get a job. No one was hiring. You know, it was really hard back then. We're talking 2008 to get a full-time paying job covering MMA. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget March 28, 2008 on my future wife's birthday, I got a call from a website that was just about to launch. Um, it was owned by a big company here in the States, a, a marketing slash sports agency, the Wasserman Media Group. And they were starting their own MMA website called MMARated.com. They had seen my stuff, called me up, said they wanted me to be the face of the site yeah. and run it. Here's the site. You go run it. And they said, uh, how much do you want to get paid? And I said, uh, you know, it's a weird question because you don't want to like, you know. It's a very, yeah, that's a tough question. <laughs> so you know what I did? I took the number that I was making at Spike TV and I doubled it just so I can have the moral victory over the guy who told me I was making a mistake. And they said yes. And that's when the career started. Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. And I like that as well. I, I, I've, I have watched you in interviews where you've kind of, 
you know, you've stated that you didn't take that traditional route by kind of being on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you were kind of innovative in a sense that, you know, you came from the internet. It was the, you were, you know, the, an, an internet journalist for, for MMA. And that was the best route that, that you could take. And that's, now we look at it, that's the route that everyone takes now. But mm-hmm. nobody kind of had thought of that at that time. So it was, it was very kind of, it was very shrewd on your part to, to kind of go by that route at that point. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. You know, I feel like it was uh, a huge benefit for me to grow up in a time when the internet was just getting hot. And here's a sport that's essentially, you know, born in my lifetime. How often are we living and there's a sport that becomes as popular as as MMA has become born when we're in our, you know, formative years. And uh, there just seemed to be a big, you know, there, there seemed to be a big gap in the coverage. You know, initially I was just a fan and I would I would go on websites and it's just like a guy holding a camcorder asking, you know, poorly constructed questions, wearing a fighter t-shirt. Like it wasn't professional. It didn't seem professional. And I'm not trying to yeah. say I'm some pioneer of MMA journalism, but just as a consumer, I didn't, you know, I'm a big basketball fan, right? And I know how basketball is covered and it's covered from all the mainstream outlets. And I was like, MMA deserves this kind of coverage. You know, it deserves you know, someone taking the sport seriously from a media perspective. And so I felt like there was an opening there and I found the sport to be fascinating. I found the fighters to be fascinating, the glitz and glamour. I found the UFC and and the birth of of this new sport led by these guys, you know, once they take over the Fertitta brothers and Dana, like there were just so many interesting things about it. It was like real pro wrestling that as a journalist, it felt like a really interesting career path. And uh, I had a deep passion for it. And once I got a taste of it and started to, you know, learn about the fighters and meet them and see what it was like. It, uh, it only made my love and my passion to succeed in this business grow. Unfortunately, actually, uh, six months after I started that job with MMA rated the, the parent company was sold to another company and they didn't want to be in the MMA business. So the dream lasted six months initially (laughs) and I was out and it, it took me like another five months to get back in. And there was a, part of me then that was like, will I ever get back in? Like I tasted the apple and then it was taken away in mm. 2009 and I was really worried, but luckily I got two new jobs at that point. And, and that's when, you know, the snowball kept going. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that was at around that point, you had the likes of Brock Lesnar coming in. And, and mm-hmm. th- I think when he came in, it was kind of like, you know, strap yourselves in this, this sport is going to take a big turn. You know, there's lots of big things are going to happen. I, I started watching it, my, my friend of mine, and I have to give him a shout out because he's just a huge fan of yours. Um, Adam Chalkley is his name. And he would watch Ultimate Fighter. He would have it. It would be on Bravo as well. He'd constantly watch it. So he got me into MMA around 2007, 2008, around that time. And I think that's when it really did start to pick up in Europe as well. At that point, you had, I think Michael Bisping was coming in as well. Yep. So he was kind of that, attraction from from the UK and like that you know Brock Lesnar comes in he makes it interesting he's just come from the world of professional wrestling everyone knows about his amateur wrestling background as well so it was it it was a big thing back then and you were there as well and you were asking these guys the tough questions which I loved you know you didn't walk around on eggshells asking like these guys are Essentially, and you still you still do it to this day, and you know I commend you for it because at the end of the day, that's journalism. You know these questions have to be asked. So I mean, I personally, I'd be shitting myself. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I, I I I've 
on occasions, I mean, I, I nearly did the Mike Tyson impression to Mike Tyson himself. Um, <laughs> and you did? <laughs> nearly, just that, nearly, nearly. I was, ah, oh, it's a story for the end, for the end of the, the podcast, okay. I'll tell you, it's pretty good. But, you know, you, I've seen some of your interviews with the likes of Rampage Jackson as well. <laughs> the chemistry you guys had was hilarious yeah. because he just... <laughs> he'd get so pissed off but he'd be crazy as well at the same time he'd kind of have fun with it too i always felt like there was like a look in his eye that he was like you know i'm about to get crazy here but don't worry i'm not going to get too crazy you know what i mean um and he was always very nice to me yeah like you know it's so it's so weird today i was thinking about it it's funny that we're talking about this you know i was thinking of shogun Mm. and uh, shogun's 38 about to turn 39. I'm 38. And here we are talking about like, eh, it's sad, Shogun, you know, he should retire probably. He doesn't look yeah. like himself. And like, imagine if someone was telling me that right now, like, no, I still got 20 years left in me. And so the the, the difference between like the journalists and the fighters is, yeah. is never more pronounced for me right now because, you know, I'm starting to reach an age where I'm starting to get old in fighting years, right? Like when I started yeah. Yeah. 10 or so years ago, I wasn't old, but now I'm like compared to the the old guys in, in fighting years. And I get nostalgic when I think of guys like Rampage, who's kind of, you know, towards the end of his career now. Mm. And, you know, other guys who are so kind to me early on, like I will always hold a very special place in my heart for those guys because no one knew who I was back then. They didn't have to give me the time of day. They didn't mm. have to open the door, answer my call or write me back. And so those guys for me, you know, like the Rampages and the Chuck Liddell's and the George St. Pierre's, you know, all those guys who were so cool and so good yeah. to me over the years. And those memories, I mean, I was just, a, I was just like a kid. And I had no idea what I was doing. And people would talk to me about, you know, even the Nick Diaz's of the world, you know, where I come from, people like you get slapped. Yeah. I didn't realize that it was like, people were like, oh, you ask tough questions. Like, I'm not asking tough questions in my mind. I view this as a privilege. I'm so lucky to be standing face to face in front mm. of BJ Penn and Nick Diaz, et cetera. I might as well ask them the questions that, I would be thinking if I was at home watching this yeah, right now, right? Like, course, what am I, yeah. what's the worst that can happen? Like, what am I going to be afraid of? I'm here. I just flew out to California. I might as well ask him about so-and-so. I remember asking Shane Carwin in Vancouver, I think it was UFC 131 mm. or maybe it was, yeah, 131. And, you know, he tested positive for PDs and he got really mad at me. I'm like, what did you think I was going to ask you about? Like, your, this is your first yeah. fight since you tested positive. Like, you just want me to ignore that or sweep it under the rug? So to me, it wasn't, uh, tough questions was obvious questions. Well, and, yeah, you know, there's a sense of there, there, in all of the questions, there's a sense of diplomacy as well. You know, it's not it's not just your opinion. You're not you know you're not attacking this person. It's you know these are the facts that have been you know they've been in the the media for for weeks. So you have to ask these questions, and that's that's the way of it. You know. 100%. I, yeah, that's the way I viewed it. But, you know, sometimes people get really mad. And I'm not going to lie, there yeah. have been times where people got mad. Uh, but luckily, no one got mad enough to do something. You know, I've been asked, like, did you ever think you would get hit or something like that? And luckily, that's never happened. I hope it mm. doesn't happen. Yeah. R- Rampage was messing around at one point. <laughs> yeah, he got a little touchy. Uh, him and Czech Congo one time, like, I think Czech, like, squeezed a little tight on my neck. But, you know, <laughs> I'm okay. Uh, as long as a line isn't crossed. Now, some would argue that that was crossing the line. Um, but, uh, you know, I never really felt like they were going to harm me. Yeah. Oh, no, 100%. They wouldn't. And I, I just want to get as well, I want to get to Conor McGregor. Because I think when, when, when a young Conor McGregor came in, 
in around 2013, 2014. He made his, his UFC debut in 2013. But I think you, you had interviewed him before his debut. Am I right? Yep. Yeah. February. I interviewed uh, him. So he debuted in April and I had him on the show in February. And that was, uh, a, like, that was a breath of fresh air for us, for a lot of Irish people, because there was, it, it was amazing hearing this Irish lad talking to you, you know, the, the top MMA journalist. And, you know, I think you were really amazed by him, even in that first interview. And it kind of led, it kind of led to the, the Brando fight as well, a year later where you were, I think you, it was an hour, it's an hour long video on YouTube where you're walking around um, mm-hmm. the Dublin Docklands area with him. What was he like, uh, you know, Man. at the start? So my first, my first introduction to Connor was actually uh, via the fans because as mm. he was starting to gain popularity in Cage Warriors, mm. I remember the fans, the Irish fans kept writing me on Twitter, you need to get Connor on, you need to get Connor on, you need to get Connor on. And it was like yeah. incessant, right? And then when he won the second title, New Year's Eve, yes, 2012 going into 2013, then it was, I was just like bombarded. Like, if you don't get Connor on now, blah, 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 <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And then shortly thereafter, he got signed. And then I had him on. And I'll never forget, I believe it was UFC, off the top of my head, 156 in Las Vegas. I was in Las Vegas. And I remember just DMing him. I'm like, all right, I'm going to have him on. I I DMed him. And at the time, he had probably, I don't know, 10,000 followers, right? Compared to what he has now. He hadn't even debuted yet. Wrote me back right away. Uh, Couldn't have been nicer. And then came on that following Monday and you know he he's talking <laughs> he's talking about the Skype how he doesn't know how to use the Skype and and, and I believe he's talking to his girlfriend D who set it up for him and yeah. he's eating blueberries and he says he doesn't have a pot to piss in and uh, but life is great and how he's going to bring them back to Ireland and and I and then you could see the clip when when the clip is over I say to my producer New York Rick like that might have been the greatest interview yeah. in the history of the show like here's this guy who I had very you know small expectations for, you know, I knew he was charismatic. I knew he was fun. The fans wanted him. So I'm like, all right, great. Uh, but then he came out like a rocket ship and it was just so entertaining. So enthralling. Mm. The confidence was oozing out of the screen. And, uh, so yeah, that, that's when I started to think like, okay, this guy has it. This guy's going to be something special. And then of yeah. course he wins, you know, less than two months later and, you know, the relationship develops there. And, you know, I have to say regarding Connor, He's the biggest star in the history of the sport. Mm. Uh, he's he's the biggest draw. Uh, and towards me, at least, towards me, I can only speak for my relationship with him. He's never changed. He's yeah. always been accessible. He's rarely said no to me, you know, if mm. I asked him. And, and obviously, I'm, I'm careful with when I ask to do an interview and stuff, because if you ask too many times, then you can, you know, turn someone away for good. Mm. But uh, he's he's always been that same guy, honestly. Uh, yeah. I, I really, truly mean that. So, I, I appreciate the relationship and he's always been kind of, I've, I've always tried to be fair through the ups and downs when I think that, you know, he's messed up. I've said it when I, when he's done good things, I think it's deserving of, of praise and whatnot. So uh, it's been quite the run, you know, covering his career, what, what a journey it has been. And I yeah. hope it continues for him. But yeah, that was uh, that one, that one interview. It's crazy how many people still remember it. Mm. And it's been almost eight years now. That's definitely one of my favorites from the show. Yeah, 100%. And he does. I think a lot of people can can say that he has a ton of time for you, Ariel. Like he really does. And he, he enjoys being interviewed by you. Like it's, it's something that he, cause he rarely does interviews. I know he has to, you know, fight week. He has to do a couple of them, but like obviously during, you know, on the off season when he's not fighting, he doesn't do any interviews. So 
it's always it's always special to watch the two of you guys, you know, talk for 30, 40 minutes. Um, yeah. because you have great chemistry together. And I think and Connor, Connor can obviously identify with that 100 percent as well. But yeah, his his rise was was unbelievable. Um, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. Um, have you been to any of his fights live? You yeah, yeah. I was at 205. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's that was the best fight yeah. to go to. Um, Madison Square Garden. Yeah. You know. Uh, Did you go to the Brandau one in Dublin? I didn't go to the Brandau one, no. What? No. In your hometown? I know, I know. Where were you? Uh, at that point, I was... Um, <laughs> I was. I think I was working... At that point, I was working in retail. Okay, but you were aware that it was going on. Oh, of course I was. Yeah, okay. it was on Channel Three E in Ireland for free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. It wasn't. I didn't have BT Sport at that time. It's always on BT Sport over here in the UK. But yeah, no, I remember I got home from work, and I remember watching it, and it was uh, that that was incredible to watch as well. That's when he really he really put the UFC on notice at that point. And he really put Ireland on notice at that point. Mm-hmm. This is when the Irish kind of realized, oh, we've got someone special here that's going to, you know, create some, you know, he could potentially create some iconic sporting moments. And by God, did he. I mean, fast forward to a year later, the Mendez and then the Aldo fight, you know. So it was, I think, around that period, 2014, 2015, 2016 of McGregor. Oh, it was just magical. Oh yeah, I th- I think it definitely was the, you know the the most, the most I suppose the biggest period of the, in in MMA history. I think you know, it was just amazing. It honestly was. I'm not saying that. I'm not being biased because I'm Irish, but the amount of right. 2016 was their best year ever. They had five pay per views yeah. that did over a million buys, and three of them were Connor. You yeah. know, uh, the 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 first and second Nate fight, and then the Eddie Alvarez fight. But that trip. That trip to Dublin in 2014, July of 2014, still to this day, one of my favorites. Like just the energy being in Ireland in the summertime was beautiful. Mm. I'd never been to Ireland. I still haven't been back. I would love to go back one day. The fans were so cool. They were so into it. They were so excited. That one hour interview with Connor as he's cutting to 145 and I could tell that he was very tired and and, and dehydrated, yeah. but still gave me all that time was, was very special. Um, the open workouts were at like some like a national like museum type of place that I think used to be a hospital, some really cool place that it was really, really nice. I can't remember exactly off the top of my head, but somewhere that was very special. And the, just the whole week felt what, well, it just felt different. And then the night itself with Patty and, uh, and Gunnar Nelson and Norman Park and, and Connor and, and, and Cajal Pendred, it was just like, it was magic. It was just yeah. pure magic. It was one of those nights that we'll always remember. It was yeah. a great experience. It put Irish MMA really on on the map that night. Which 100%. Was, it was it was a great thing to see because, you know, a sport that's you know this is a sport in Ireland that kind of people they ignored for years. You know, they're like, oh no, no, no. You know, we're very kind of I suppose archaic in our views about mm. MMA. You know, they they look at it as a as a blood sport. It's just it, that, that that was the way Ireland was, and then Connor came along and kind of, you know, he he made people he made people watch, which was a great thing, you know. Oh yeah, no, I've talked to uh, my good friend Pizzi Carroll. Yes, think, sorry, uh, the severe MMA lads there. Yeah, Sean and Pizzi, great lads. Yeah. 
Yep. And I've talked to him a lot about the media and how I think early on they they uh, they didn't support Connor enough. And it was always like this referendum on the sport. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously over the years, things have happened that have given them reason to criticize him in the sport. But mm-hmm. uh, in those early days, it felt like everyone else was covering him except for the, the national Irish media, like when he first was coming mm-hmm. up. I think yeah. by now they've kind of caught on. But yeah, no, uh, I, I, uh, I'm I fascinated by the culture and, and by the, the media cover. All that stuff is very interesting mm. to me. And, um, you know, they, I, I hope to, to, to go away from, from MMA and go back to wrestling, they didn't even cover Becky Lynch oh, when, she, when she lifted the two belts. What about Katie? Do they cover Katie Taylor? Oh, listen. Is it different? She, yeah, she, well, Why she's, is it an, she's, she's, she's an Olympic gold medalist. Right. You know, she, so she, a she different won, type of respect she, for her? She, yeah, she won gold in, in 2012 in London. Mm-hmm. And then when she decided to turn professional, you know, every, every Saturday night now, I think she's, I don't know how many times she's fought this year, maybe three or four times, but like she's trending number one on Twitter in wow. Ireland. Um, you know, she's, she's the talk of the town. She truly is, I think she is the greatest athlete our country has ever produced. Wow. Um, is she the most popular athlete out of Ireland right now? No, I would still say Connor is. I, um, okay. She, she's. Uh, I'd, 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 I'd love her to get some recognition over in the US. Yeah. She's, she's become. She's become a huge name in the UK, obviously. But Connor is still. You know, Connor's still the biggest sports person that that's come out of this country. Connor, Connor, and Roy Keane, and then you could say Katie Taylor. But like, okay, Katie Taylor's last fight. Compared to Connor's next fight, which will get more media attention? Connor's next fight. Okay, all right. Yeah, I mean, it, objectively, the Connor fight is a bigger fight, right? Yeah, it's a bit. It's a bigger fight. But it seems like they they support Katie more from a media standpoint. I think so. I think. I think. Well, I think it might be that it's boxing and it's MMA, mm. and boxing has been yeah kind of prevalent in Ireland for such a long time. You know, we've had champions like Steve Collins, Barry McGuigan. You know, and that's kind of the the route they go, the, the the media take, and it's a little frustrating because you know, like Connor definitely is. He's the biggest name that's come out of this this country in terms of sports. Definitely, I mean, the, know, the attention he gets for for his fights is just I've never seen anything like it. Did you know that? Um, I think it was after the Brown fight, or it might have been before, maybe. Or maybe it was going into the Holloway fight. Now my memory is, is all mm. mush. But I, I, at one point, I had Steve Collins and Connor together on my show. Oh, and it was wow. pretty amazing. Connor was on my show, and Steve Collins surprised him and called in. I set it up, and uh, it was so cool to see. And he was giving him, you know, he was giving him like words of wisdom and, and mm. support. And it was just, you could tell in his voice and Connor's voice how much Steve meant to him to get like that kind of praise from a legend. Yeah. So when you mentioned Steve, uh, I thought, you know, for, for someone who hasn't heard, it was a pretty cool oh. moment. It was one of those early days on my show. He's a legend. I mean, yeah. he beat, he beat Chris Eubank twice. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when a, a lot of people, you know, when people say Chris Eubank was unbeatable, Steve Collins, he unbelievable boxer. Have I heard you do Chris Eubank? Oh, listen, I, I've, I've delved into that. Don't worry about that, Ariel. I'm, I'm a big, I'm a watcher of, of your, you know, yourself from DC as well. I love the new show. It's, it's a great <laughs> format as well. I just wish you could have interviewed me. Oh, it would have been yeah. fantastic, you know? <laughs> it would have been really great. 
<laughs> I love that man. I love that's amazing. I knew you did. Him, yeah, when I met him at Mayweather McGregor, it was the 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 highlight of my week. Him doing uh, what it was he recited some poem that now I'm forgetting. But he oh, was he just, does that. Yeah, I, I felt like I was having an out of body experience talking to him. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah, he's crazy, but he's good. He's he's good crazy. I've seen him being interviewed a couple of times, and and the way he talks about his career, he talks about his career in such an eloquent way. Yeah, you know? that's amazing. <laughs> he's crazy. Um, listen, I just want to get away from 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 Connor, and we'll we'll go back to Connor because I'll be doing the impression later on. Um, how is your relationship with Dana White? Ah, <laughs> Dan, and now I know hitting me with the hard questions. Well, I know before the the whole thing about Brock Lesnar, it was what what the relationship was pretty good at that point, or well, at that point, like once the Brock Lesnar thing happened at UFC one ninety nine, it wasn't very good to be honest. Mm. Um, but in the early days of my career, it was great. Yeah, like the first time I ever interviewed Dana White was UFC ninety seven in mm. Montreal. Uh, April of 2009. Mm. And actually I waited in a line. It was like some EA sports thing. Maybe it was THQ, whatever. whoever had the video, no THQ, I think whoever had the video game at the time. And I waited in a line to talk to him. And there were a lot of people there. And when I got to the end of the line and I was facing him, my microphone broke. Oh. And this was the first time I ever met him. And he's like, I'm just going to hang out here, come back and we'll do it. Mm. I got in my car. I went to a store. I bought a new microphone. I came back and he was still there. Um, and we did the interview mm. and, you know, from that period on till I would say the beginning of 2016. So what, what are we talking like seven or so years? He mm. couldn't have been nicer to me. Did we have our ups and downs at moments? Yes. Yeah. Did he get mad at me at times? Yes. But, you know, as far as access is concerned, as far as time is concerned, answering questions, I, I remember in Abu Dhabi before UFC 112, um, there was a story going around that he was like having gambling problems and whatnot. And before the interview, I was like, Hey, do you mind if I ask you about the story? He's like, never asked me before. If you can ask me something, just ask me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and that was, that was a great thing. And he was always very kind to me. Um, but unfortunately towards the end of that run, um, he and others at the UFC were getting mad about things that I was reporting or saying mm-hmm. nothing unfair, nothing untrue, but I guess things that they didn't want to be mm. talked about. Money, unions, pay, Bellator, competition, free agency, stuff like that. Mm. And I guess they were getting increasingly annoyed by this. Though I will say, no one ever said like, hey, we're getting mad. They just like, I would hear, you know, I would hear things. No one would call me up and tell me, why did you do X, Y, and Z? And uh, one time in mid-March of 2006, 16, I had Rory McDonald on my show. And Rory was... Uh, towards the end of his UFC contract and he was about to fight Wonderboy Thompson mm. in Canada. And he said that he didn't sign an extension because he didn't like what they were offering him. And he was being very open about mm. the negotiations with the UFC and, and all this stuff. And the next day I got a call from my boss um, at Fox, who at the time was the home of the UFC. Mm. And uh, he said, you know, unfortunately we're going to have to cut ties with you never got anything wrong while I was working for Fox, never embarrassed the company, was never late, never did anything. Mm. But, uh, you know, the UFC brass told them to get rid of me. So after four and a half years at Fox, I was I was out. And uh, I was hurt by that. You know, that was a great job. That was a great opportunity. No one gave me a real explanation. You know, it was just, oh, UFC has asked us to cut ties with you. That was it. Yeah. And so from, two th- from March of 2016 to June of 2016, being the competitive person that I was, 
one thing that was tough about working for Fox um, was that sometimes they asked me not to report things. Oh, mm. like I remember when, uh, I remember Connor RDA was going to happen, right? Mm. In March, 2016. Mm. And I found out about it, you know, through sources and stuff. And they asked me not to report it because they were going to announce the news on um, NFL broadcast, you know? And that sucked because I had to sit on it. Uh, and then someone else got it later on. I think it was Jeremy Botter who got it. Mm. Um, and so now that I was no longer contractually tied to Fox, I just broke everything. And I was breaking things left and right. And I was on this rampage breaking things. And for whatever reason, the UFC brass thought that I had a mole in the company, thought that I was listening to their conference calls, thought that I was talking to someone in the company who was mm. feeding me information. There was no mole. It was just me having sources the same way I have sources now. Yeah. And so they were like asking employees to look at their cell phone. I mean, it was getting really crazy. Uh, and then, uh, and then I'm at UFC 199 and, and I break the news first that Connor's fighting Nate again in August at 202. And then that Brock Lesnar is coming back. And that was kind of like the final straw where, you know, at this point, it's not like I'm reporting on something here in my bedroom. I was at the event just by chance. So it was yeah. easy for them to like come to me and say, Dana wants to talk to you and then escort me out. It was, it was a lot easier than picking up the phone and chewing me out while I'm at home. And so mm. that, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the stars aligning there for them made for that whole scene where they, you know, they banned me and, and, and everything that happened afterwards. And, and that was the last time I've ever talked to Dana in a, in a private setting. Like, mm. you know, when he banned me and, and, and said what he said, um, I've talked to, I've asked him questions at a press conference and stuff, but I've never talked to him behind the scenes, text, phone call in the hallway. Never. That was the last time. And it's unfortunate. And, and honestly, mm. I, I wish that wasn't the case. I wish it didn't happen that way because I don't feel like I did anything wrong. You know, life is still okay. I have a great job and I'm working yeah. for ESPN. It, it, it's all good. And even if I don't talk to him ever again, it's all good. You don't want to have enemies, especially with someone that powerful. Yeah. And uh, especially was, you know, someone who, you know, uh, unfortunately has done some other things to me, you know, behind the scenes, Mayweather McGregor, I was supposed to work for Showtime and, you know, he got me out of that. So that sucks, you know, but uh, you, you adapt and you overcome. And uh, I think it's made me a better journalist and it's made me work harder and, and not have to rely on the UFC and things like that because they, they really don't, I mean, they go out of their way not to acknowledge me and help me. And I think that's actually made me better. So I can't yeah. really complain. Well, I think as well, there was a lot of, um, you know, there was a lot of support from, you know, oh. UFC fighters. Oh yeah. Which, which fighters was, and fans, most important. And, and fans, fans, was a, it was a big thing as well. Um, you know, like the John Jones as well was was tweeting about it and, and many other fighters. So that was that was a great thing as well. I think, you know, everybody loves you for, for what you do. So you've at, at that point, you were so established, you know, as the kind of MMA journalist, you know. So it's as you said, you adapt and you overcame all of this, and you're working with ESPN now, you know, and it's uh, not much has really changed, you know, you're still getting those inter those interviews with the fighters and it's, it's still, it's still all good. Yes. It's unfortunate that, you know, the relationship with Dana has soured, but you know, life's, life's too short. I say as well, you never know down the line, you know, that could all be rectified. You know, you just never know. Oh man, life is too short. I believe in that. I mean, yeah, th there's, there's a lot of people who have done some, you know, bad things to me. And, and honestly, I, I would, 
shake their hand and be like, you know, bygones mm-hmm. be bygones, especially this year, right? I mean, with everything that's happened this year, has there ever been a time that uh, has reminded us that life is too short? You know what yeah. I mean? And uh, yeah, it's been a, a, a crazy time. And, and, and honestly, you know, I, I would never apologize for anything because I didn't do anything wrong, mm-hmm. but you know, if he said, let's go meet for a coffee and hash it out, I would do, I don't hold a grudge, even though you can make a case. If anyone should be holding a grudge here, it's me. Like I'm the one who lost money as a result of this. I've lost jobs. I've lost employment. Um, and it hasn't been made easy for me, but uh, I don't want to have enemies. And and I, and I think despite all of that, uh, I think I've been very fair to the UFC. Like, look, am I critical of them? Absolutely. But that doesn't mean I'm an a-hole or a bad journalist and I'm biased. Like, if it's all rosy, if it's all positive, that's not real journalism. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not being an honest analyst or commentator, or whatever. And also, you know, th- like this idea that it always has to be positive isn't, you know, that's not a healthy way to look at sports. And what are we talking yeah. about? We're talking about sports. This is all fun. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And if you really actually look at what I talk about on a week to week basis or day to day basis, I would argue 95% of it is positive promoting the upcoming fight just by talking about it, by raising awareness, by talking about Davis and Figueredo, by talking about Curtis blades. Like uh, sometimes i honestly feel honestly, like I'm doing more promotion for the upcoming fights than the UFC is because I'm talking about it on all these platforms and doing yeah. interviews and stuff like that. So this idea, like, you know, they like to say that I'm too negative. That's what the UFC brass likes to say I'm too negative. And I just mm. think that's comical. Like I really, I'm too negative. Like, what am I talking about? I'm talking about transactional news and this guy fighting that guy. Mm. And he was supposed to fight. Yeah. Like this is all why fans love sports, the escape of well, sports. I right? mean, I, I think reporting that, you know, Brock Lesnar is making his UFC return after what was that? It was 2016, five, five years. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a very positive thing. That's like, you know, I no, I ruined the surprise, which by the way, no one will, if, if that never happened, like if I never got banned, no one four years later would remember that I broke that story. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was made into a bigger deal because of everything that happened in the aftermath. But yeah. like things, things are broken all the time in sports and no one mm-hmm. remembers. Now, then I guess on the it's, flip side, someone could say, it's well, then funny you, you say that because I, I see, you know, I'd, I'd follow a lot of soccer journalists mm-hmm. and they're always the first to break like um, a massive transfer for yeah. a club like say to man united but i'm yeah. never i'm i'm i'm, I'm never gonna you know a couple of years down the line like when paul pogba came to man united for 90 million say i'm not going to remember the first journalist who reported that i'm going to remember the official football club's twitter putting up yeah. that announcement that's what i'm going to remember and also were you mad were you mad that mr journalist working for the sun put out that Paul Pogba came to Man U? Like, were you, did you, did you say, you ruined the surprise for me? No, you didn't. You were like, oh, that's great. Now I can't wait for them to confirm it. They confirmed it. (laughs) Happy days, right? Like no one cares. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that's exactly it. It was a positive story. But um, listen, I want to get away, away from that. Um, And I want to talk about the current crop of, of UFC fighters at the minute. You know, Khabib, Retiring, I think I seen one of your tweets. I think it's the right thing to do. Um, I don't. I I I disagree with him coming back for a thirtieth fight. I think that was the perfect way for him to bow out of the sport. Um, in honoring his, I think it was his, his mother's wishes as well. To mm-hmm. that, you know, that was his his last fight. Um, where does he rank 
now in, in the... Oh, man. Tough. It's tough. I mean, he's certainly at the top. He's certainly in the conversation. Mm. You can make a case for one because of 29-0 and 0 and because of how dominant he was. You mm. can make a case for two. You know, I, I kind of have two lists. I have the PED list and the non-PED list, meaning the mm. guys who unfortunately were caught using PEDs and, and not. If you want to just include them all together, PED and not, uh, John Jones is obviously in the discussion because mm. of how great he was, but PEDs. Anderson's in the discussion, but again, PDs and, and he's hurting his legacy a little bit now. You know, part part of the legs, the reason why I don't like to talk about if someone's the greatest of all time in the midst of their career is because I feel you can only do that at the very end. Like once you have the entire picture, right? It's all yeah. done. The painting is done. Anderson is ruining that painting. Mm. BJ Penn ruined that painting. Habib almost upped the value of the painting because he went out undefeated, right? He can mm. same with GSP. Went out on top twice. I think he upped the value. So we'll see what happens to John Jones. Um, I think we forget about Amanda Nunes as well. I don't, again, we're still in the midst of the painting. Yeah. The painting's not done. Now, is she one of the best fighters right now? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Unfortunately, what's hurting Amanda, in my opinion now, is the same thing that hurt Demetrius Johnson. It's She's not fighting people who are anywhere near her level, Mm. right? Like, all due respect to Felicia Spencer, she's not on her level, right? So it's hard to truly gauge when you're not fighting people who are at your level, but like, you know, Habib was fighting tremendous stars. Mm. Uh, George was fighting John, you know, I'll tell you what, it's not fair the way people view the early portion of John's career. Cause when he was fighting, now they say, Oh, rampage, Vitor Belfort, uh, you know, uh, Shogun, Hua. those guys were still in their prime when, when John mm. fought him, those yeah. guys were really good. Like he fought a murderer's row. No one has had a tougher stretch than John Jones when he was champion early on. Mm. Uh, but then, you know, unfortunately, the the PD stuff ruins it a little bit. Also, the two wins over DC were massive, but yeah. the second one was overturned. So those are some of the names. DJ, obviously, in the conversation. Fedor in the conversation, but he stuck around a little too long as well. Mm. So it's a complex question. But Habib, yeah, you can make a case. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think you're crazy. It's a tiring question. I think people get really... <laughs> It's fun. It's a classic barbershop debate, right? Like you could sit around with your friends and debate this ad nauseum. Yeah. It's like, yeah, like, like the barbershop debate in coming to America. Yes. (laughs) Um, Legendary scene. Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier, January 23rd, uh, UFC 257. Um, Is he back in the lightweight title picture if if he wins this fight again? Yeah. Yeah. A win over Poirier is huge. It definitely puts you in the mix. Mm. Um, I'm I'm really curious to see which kind of Connor shows up. My 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 gut tells me a very motivated and hungry Connor because yeah. remember he was motivated and hungry in January when he fought Donald Cerrone and then yes. the whole world got turned upside down. I, I really thought he was going to do something special this year. Whether he or not a, it he had ended. a fight season plan. Yeah, yeah, the three fights. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Now, whether it would have ended with the lightweight title around his waist, who knows? Because Habib obviously had it, and he's a super tough matchup for him. Hmm. But I, I feel like he is out to prove a point. And also, by the way, I feel like Dustin Poirier is not getting the respect that he deserved. Like people, you know, people are looking at yeah. the first fight, which happened in 2014, and, and see that you know Connor beat him. He's, he's a different fighter now. Totally 100%. different. First of all, it's at 155, so he's not cutting as much weight. Mm-hmm. Second of all, new, he's with a new team, not new right now, but a different team than when he was, mm-hmm. you know, fighting him in 2014 with ATT and some of the best coaches in the world are around him, including the great Mike Brown, who I think is one of the best minds in the sport. And uh, he's grown. 
He's matured. He's a lot more confident with himself. Like he was just a kid back then. And by the way, Connor's grown and 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 I think has become a better fighter since the one who fought him in 2014. Mm. So I like the fight. I'm excited for it. It's a new, you know, it's a new matchup in the sense that I don't think these are the two, uh, they're the same guys who fought in 2014. No, they're not because there's so much mutual respect between the and, two. And there's no bad blood this time. Yeah, the last yeah. time there was a lot of animosity. Remember, like yeah, Dustin yeah. was very dismissive of Connor. Mm-hmm. Um, so this time it's a little different. Now, some would argue that's not a good thing. Like, I think people like the animosity a little more, but eh, for this for this time around, I don't yeah. mind it. I, I, I think I speak for everyone. I think we just want to see Connor active again because yeah. it's a lot more interesting when he's active. Yeah, I don't mind Connor being the kind of respectful type in the build up to the fights. I liked it last year with, with Cerrone. I thought it was yeah. refreshing. I don't want him to be like that for <laughs> for whatever his future fights are. You know, I, I suppose I reckon when he fights Gaethje, if that happens, there'll be a, a lot of animosity in the build-up mm-hmm. or, or Tony Ferguson even. Also, there's a lot of talk of Israel Adesanya and John Jones mm. uh, going up against each other. I know Adesanya is, is I don't know if it's official or not, the Blakovich fight. Oh, it's not a 100% sign, but yeah. that's the direction they're leaning. Yeah. I mean, if he beats Blakovich, you know, you could we could be set up for one of the most special. Oh yeah, one of the one of the. I would argue you could do it right now, and it would be really special. Like why oh, waste time? Yeah, if you do, if you did it right now, it would be unbelievable. Um, and those two guys, whoo, best mates on Twitter. <laughs> That's why I say do it now because you teased us with the tweets, you know, yeah. for two weeks there, and we were going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, like so many things can happen, right? In this sport, someone could get knocked out, they could slip, they could get injured. When you have something that special, what are you waiting for? And the idea that Israel is going to win the 205 belt and all of a sudden John is going to want to just fight him, I don't know if I buy that. I I don't know if John is going to want to play that game. So Mm. I don't know. There is a part of me that wonders if this is going to be one of those fights that we never see. I hope it's not the case, but there just seems to be a lot of bad blood and ego involved. And like, they're not quite on the same trajectory because they're in different weight classes mm. always. And I don't know. I, I, I would just argue do it now, but it doesn't look like they're doing it now. Yeah. Some, somewhere, somewhere down the line, I reckon they will. I just want to move away from, from MMA for a bit as well. You had The Undertaker. Uh, on the show last week. Yeah. Um, and obviously last night he retired from pro wrestling 30 years um, to the day with his Survivor Series debut in 1990. I, he said in the podcast, he, he thinks in his head, he thinks he's 100% done. What a legacy. Oh, man. I mean, and one, one of your most famous interviews as well was with The Undertaker. You know, the, you want to do it to, to yeah. Brock Lesnar. <laughs> amazing what a moment that was and i'm happy that i finally got to clear it up with him because i was wondering mm. for 10 years what the hell happened there and if he was in on it if it was a work if it was a shoot but yeah i mean the, i mean one of you can make a case that the undertaker is like one of the all-time great tv characters you know what i mean like yeah. the longevity and just how you know enthralled we were in him and how great mm. he was with the character how he also, reinvented himself every he reinvented time. himself and 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 stay true to it like only now, which I mentioned to him, like, are we getting to see behind the curtain, right? But like, he rarely did, you know, interviews where he broke kayfabe, mm. where he talked about the stuff going on behind the scenes. And I actually think that only helped the character, you know what I mean? 
but you know, it's clear that he's not the same. It's clear that his body is is beaten up and that he shouldn't yeah. be wrestling anymore. I wish that there could have been fans there. That seems like, yeah. again, one of those moments where there should have been fans. But yeah, one of the all-time best. And you know what? His loyalty should be commended as well. Mm. He never jumped ship. He never flirted with WCW mm. uh, when everyone was was flirting and taking big, you know, paydays. He and was I'm Vince's sure that, general, true, yeah. that, that period. Yeah. In the, in the 90s when WCW were beating them in the ratings every yep. week. You 83 know? weeks. 83 weeks, yeah. Incredible. But what, what a career. Ariel, listen, it's your time now to oh, yes. puzzle me um, with I want to ask you a question. When did you first realize that you had this gift? Um, I'm going to disagree with you and say that it's not a gift. Okay. <laughs> because I think anyone can do it. Um I, by the way, when I say gift, I don't mean, I just, and you're, you're right. I don't mean someone gave it to you. I mean, like you possess something that I can't replicate. You possess a skill. So I should have said skill that, you know, that, that is just really special. Yeah. You, you're correct in that assessment. It's, it's definitely a skill, but it's a skill that you have to work on constantly. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I was a kid, Ariel. I, I, when I started doing this, I, you know, some of my first impressions were the likes of De Niro and Pesci and Pacino. I watched Goodfellas at a very young age. <laughs> uh-huh. I did. I watched my, my brother was um, crazy into the, you know, into the mafia, into, you know, all of the movies as well. So I watched Goodfellas as, as a young kid and I used to do impressions of, of those characters, but also impressions of my family members. When my parents got married, I was 10 years old when my parents got married and um, I stood up at the top table and I made a speech and I, my speech was me impersonating my aunties, my uncles, wow. you know, friends of the family. That was my thing. <laughs> and you just did it. Like, it's not like you were, in, it's just kind of something that you started doing. Like, did you look up to impressionists and stuff and you tried to copy what they were doing or is it yeah. just something you did? Oh yeah. I mean, there's, there's two guys here in Ireland. Well, I know, sorry. One guy called Mario Rosenstock. He would have been one of the first. Um, and then, of course, you know, I look at the GOAT, in my opinion, Frank Caliendo. Mm. And that guy is just, that guy is scary, mm. how, how good he is. Um, he would have been one of my biggest influences. You know, there's so many other impressionists around me now as well. There's Connor Moore, um, who does the golf impressions. There's a guy called Schaefer Bates as well, who's based in the UK. There's, there's a lot of us now. There really is. Which is your favorite? My favorite, um, <laughs> the, the favorite uh, one that you do, like which do you think is the best? Well, it wouldn't be my favorite, but the best that every everyone likes, I suppose, would be Connor. People just mm. love Connor, and um, so when, when I'm talking to you like this, Ariel, do you know what I mean? We, we, we go way back, do you know what I mean? I was I was on the show, and we were talking about me eating the blueberries. <laughs> Those blueberries were lovely, do you know what I mean? I got them from Tesco. They were very nice, very juicy, very succulent. So I enjoyed that very much, Ariel. Uh, and, and I look for I look forward to our to our little interview in January again, pal. Should be very good. <laughs> My man. Oh, it's just amazing. How do you the little like the I when you do the little like the stutter, the I look forward, like that thing is just brilliant. <laughs> Did you just sit there and listen to it over and over again? Like yeah. how do you yeah, wow, you, you've helped me big time with your interviews <laughs> yeah. with them. <laughs> indirectly, I guess. <laughs> you've wow. helped me big time, and then like there's, you know. Wait, but you said that's you say people say it's the best, but it's not your favorite. No, it wouldn't necessarily be. What's because, your favorite? Oh, I don't know. Like, I mean, I'll give you a weird. I'll do Woody Harrelson for you. Wow, 
Well, you know, that would be ultimately <laughs> my favorite. And the way he speaks like that, it's very slow. But man, he's a great actor. He really <laughs> is. I just love watching Woody Harrelson movies. Wow. He's always playing a supporting character in movies, Ariel. I should be the main man, you know? <laughs> that, you know what's so impressive? <laughs> You, you have to change your accent as well. Like you, yeah. you're, you're, and you're often doing American people that, that to me is what blows my mind. You know what I mean? Like, how do you do that? How do you get rid of the accent? Well, one of the first was De Niro. You know, <laughs> I kind of, uh, the eyes. I, no, I, I do the older De Niro, you know, the, the kind of grumpy Robert De Niro, <laughs> grandfather Robert De Niro, uh, kind of talks, talks shit about Donald Trump every day. I do that. And of course, you know, I do Trump as well. It really is wonderful. It's great. Believe me, Ariel is a fantastic guy. Great journalist. Wonderful, wonderful person. Let me tell you, really great. <laughs> oh, my God. It's My face is hurting. This is amazing. And, and then, of course, Ariel, you know, they would interview me and boy, you know, and that, that was incredible, man. You know, I'm looking forward to this fight. I cannot wait. I can't wait to get in there. You know, I'm, I love Roy so much, but I want to beat his ass. I'm going to knock him out. I'm going to you know, knock him out and, and just, just punish him. And then I'm going to give him a big hug after the fight because I love him. <laughs> It's unbelievable. I feel I could close my eyes and I feel like I'm really talking to them. Did you know there was a man named Prebeck? Do you know Prebeck? Puya Rebeck. He was on my show in the early days, 2012, 2013. Yes, I do. Yes. He was good too, right? What do you think of him? He was read. Didn't he do a great, um, he did a great George, didn't he? He did a great George. He did DJ uh, Penn, do? Diaz Brothers, Walid Ishmael. That was great. Mm. And then he disappeared. I've never heard, I've tried to write to him. I've never heard from him again. He just, I hope he's okay, to be honest. But it's been yeah. at least five, six years that I've tried to reconnect with him. Can't find him. Oh man, he was great. I remember you had him on the show. He was fantastic. Yeah, he was good. But you're you're, you're on a different level. Can I get, uh, can I get Katie? I'd love the Katie one. Yeah, you know, no problems at all. I'd I mean, <laughs> Katie herself would love to come on the show as well, you know. Get some of that U.S. recognition, but yeah, just want to say it's been great, Ariel, so far. And you know, Connor's Connor's come to some of the fights. You know, he's supporting me, so uh, yeah, fair play to him. Looking forward to his fight in January. That one is that. That's got to be a tough one, right? Yeah, it's a tough one because your your voice is like cracking. I don't know what's up with her voice. Fu I personally Fury, love it. Fury's a tough one as well. Oh yes, yes. Let's see. That, that clip that you did with Fury face to face was incredible. Well, from from a true fighting man, you know, one hundred percent. And I do look forward to coming up against an Anthony Joshua or or Deontay Wilder because I swear to God, Ariel, I'll go in there and I'll beat him. I'll beat him one on one. He's claiming that I've cheated. He's just not good enough. He's a bum. He's a dosser. That's all he is. He hasn't got the skills that I possess. Just, just a bit of knockout power in his right and left. <laughs> when you say, I do look forward and possess, it's just brilliant. Oh. And Ro Ro actually, Joe Rogan, I did as well. Yeah, I've seen your Rogan and, and, and it's, you it's apologize okay. for your Rogan. Yeah, I've, heard, I've seen you apologize for your Rogan because you said it's still a work in progress. Well, you know, it's, it's a lot like that. A lot of work in progress. <laughs> it's incredible. You know, and, and You've come a long way. Well, you know, a lot of people are looking for the Joe that wouldn't necessarily like scream at the commentator, Joe, but I'm, I'm doing the podcast, Joe, and that's it. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> oh, that was good. The podcast, that was good. What, can you do the, the infamous Tony McGregor, you know, uh, non-plus with the coins? Have you ever seen that one? <laughs> that video, have you seen it? He, he likes a slim fit Hugo S- Boss. S- slim fit Hugo Boss suits, Ariel. <laughs> Very important. Listen now, I, Tony McGregor is a lovely man. He's a big fan of yours. I always see uh, him liking and commenting, right? Yeah, Legend. He's such a lovely man, honestly. Um, I'm delighted for I'm delighted for them as well because I think Connor paid off the mortgage in their house as well a couple of years ago. So he's just living the high life and it's great. I'm, he's a, he's a truly he's a lovely man. And Margaret is Connor's mom. They're they're really nice. They're a good family. They really are. They are really. I remember the early days. You know, they always go to his events. They would be there at the Wayne. The whole crew, like the, yeah. the the sisters and everything. And they would always come up to me. They would come up to me, you know, you know, like mm-hmm. the, they're his family. They don't have to do that and say how much they liked, you know, whatever previous interview that we did and all yeah. that stuff. Always very warm people, right? Yeah, no, they really were. What about Pesci? What are you talking about? What? I mean, I'm, I'm sick of fucking tired of people telling me about this fucking Home Alone thing every year. You know, I'm sick <laughs> tired of it, Ariel. You, know, you tell me, oh, you must watch Home Alone every year. What? What, what, what am I going to watch a little fucking eight-year-old kid beat the shit out of me for an hour and a half in a movie? Get the fuck out of here, you stupid fucking prick. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that I, did, I did i did bisping as well to in on the podcast i uh, yeah he asked me okay and it was, but first it was really tough because i had him on and he was like that try and do me and i did it but it, i don't know if it worked because he's kind of a his manchester accent is kind of gone he's kind of gone for a uk kind of thing <laughs> and Nate, Nate was one of the ones. I mean, that, that was first one. That was one of the first oh. one I ever did. You know, whoever motherfucker wants to find me, I'm going. I'm going to fight them. I'm going to beat their ass. And it's very simple, you know. And but see the similarities in the Mike Tyson as well. See, I got to go deeper for the Mike Tyson. But when I'm doing Nate, it's just like that. I don't care, motherfucker. Whatever they want. <laughs> Oh my God, that is amazing! What, I, I, mean, I got to work on DC. DC's tough. He's DC's tough. tough. I've tried yeah. and tried and tried, but I'll hopefully I'll I'll get there at some point. Who, who, who's one that you like? I've been working on for a while that you want to get. Um, Jorge's tough. I'm trying mm. to get him. Um, yeah. There's a, there's a, there's there's a lot of them, Ariel. I mean, Dane is very tough. Mm. Dane is hard because like. When I do Dana, people say, oh, that sounds like you're Tom Hanks. Because you know? <laughs> he kind of, him and Tom Hanks kind of have a similar voice. They do. Interesting. Yeah. I never thought of that before. Yeah. So it's kind of like me morphing into Tom Hanks. I can't really do Dana because the baby's asleep upstairs. Oh, okay, they, okay. Yeah, you don't want to yell. Know, What's up, five fans? You know? No. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the one that you do, uh, that you say obviously a lot for? I think it's a, it's a football player. Obviously. Wayne Rooney. Yes, 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 yes. Um, you know, obviously, <laughs> and the obviously, it's, it's, you know, the S is, it's great. Obviously, I'm a big fan of, of mixed martial arts. And, and you know, <laughs> of course, I, I had Tony Bellew on a couple of weeks ago as well, Dana. Oh, yeah, that's he's, a, he's, a, he's a very big fan of, of the UFC and what's going on. Some great fights, you know, fucking great. Love it. You know? Eddie. <laughs> oh, Eddie's oh, tough. He's Have nice. you seen the video with me and Eddie? In um, oh, what am I talking about, Ariel? You asked me, have I been to any of Connor's fights? I was in, I was in Vegas for, for the Mayweather fight. Oh, really? Yeah, I was in Vegas for the Mayweather fight, and on the day of the fight, I think 
I believe it was ESPN that were doing a big kind of thing for their their boxing showcase. Okay. Uh, for the fall or something like that. And Bob Aaron was there. Eddie was there. But oh, yes, yes, yes. We got a video with them. You know, do you know Coogan, Cassius? Yes, yes, yes. Coogan. I was at that thing. They did a press conference the morning of the fight. Yes, yes. Yes, I was there too. That's and funny. Coogan Cassius from IFL TV had filmed myself and Eddie doing oh. this impression battle. So Eddie does like great. Imp- if you go onto YouTube, look at Eddie's impressions. He does unbelievable. Really? Oh, yeah, he's good. Wow, I didn't know that. Dare so I say his his Chris Eubank is better than mine. Wow, I didn't know that. Mm. And that's a hard pill to swallow. Let, let me tell you that. His Chris Eubank is, is elite. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that is amazing. <laughs> but um, uh, listen, Ariel, honestly, an honor having you on, man. Oh, my um, honor. Thank you thank for you. taking your time out as well to do this. It was great fun. We Great fun at the end. And um, hopefully I'll get to see you in person again. Uh, I know we, we met briefly a couple of years ago in Manchester for that Connor interview. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully I'll get to see you at a UFC event and we can uh, have a bit of fun, have a bit of crack banter. I love that. I love a good crack. No, no, honestly, you know, I'm a huge fan. I love what you do. And you know, um, I know you had a you had a, a, a child recently, right? Did, yeah, well, she's she's um, twenty months old. Oh, wonderful! Yeah. Everything's uh, yeah. going well. Oh, she's yeah, she's amazing. Very yes. lucky during this lockdown that we've had over in Ireland, that you know we, we got to spend a lot of time with her, um, myself and my my fiance. Yeah, my fiance is a teacher, so but she was off in, during the first lockdown, so we just spent so much time with our little girl and she just developed new things every day it's it's an amazing thing they're they're amazing little people i suppose they children, are children you know i have three crazy ones running around as well so i, I know <laughs> all about it but uh, i just want to say to you i feel like you're one of the best kept secrets you know like i, I feel like you're, you're going to break through at some point and i'm ah. going to see you on the tonight show and and or the late late show and uh, and and you'll get that kind of recognition that you deserve. So you're you're an unbelievable talent. So keep ah. it up, and I wish you nothing but the best. Thank you, pal. Thanks so much, Ariel. My Cheers pleasure. For coming on, pal. Legend. My pleasure. My pleasure. Anytime. Build your own unique bets and get the odds instantly with Betfred's Pick Your Punt Builder. Corners, cards, goal scorer, and more. They've got them all. Download the Betfred app to build your own unique bets with instant odds. 18 plus begambleaware.org singles only pick your punt builder is available on selected matches at betfred's discretion visit betfred.com promotions for more information and for full terms and conditions